The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narconon Suncoast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. This is Joni Siegel, and my co-host, Jason Good, is not with me today, but we have an interview that I think is going to be very interesting, especially in light of some of the news that's been out recently. This is episode number 106. So recently in the news, there um, have been reports, um, here's one from CNN, that nearly three dozen doctors and a host of other medical professionals across eight states were charged for illegally prescribing and distributing opioids and other dangerous narcotics. So, you know, I think that that's probably a very low number. I am sure that um, there are others that fall into this category. It also goes on to state that these were in um, various different states, specifically West Virginia, Virginia, Ohio, Kentucky, Alabama, Tennessee, Pennsylvania, and Louisiana. And we have reported before on uh, West Virginia and what happened in that state with the opioids because we had um, the producers and director of the film Overdosed, which is a documentary specifically about the dumping of opioids into West Virginia. And we interviewed a few weeks ago, Cami Lynn Markwood, who is one of the uh, former addicts, former drug dealers that figured into the story in West Virginia. So today we have an interview with her mother, Kelly Beasley. And I think that her story is going to give a whole other perspective on what happened in West Virginia and, you know, kind of from a, from an inside viewpoint, these medical professionals who are unethically prescribing these drugs. And it also, the article goes on to say not just for money, but also for sexual favors, which is disgusting. So without further ado, let's talk today to Kelly Beasley. So thank you, Kelly, for being on the podcast today. Tell me how you kind of got started or like, what was... What's your story? How did you get started in this whole subject of, you know, drugs and opioids and addiction? How did that start for you? Um, my ex-husband worked um, for the Army as a recruiter, and he was a, a medic, combat medic in the Army. So somehow he and Raj Massey had ran, the doctor Raj Massey had ran into each other at some point, and Dr. Massey or former Dr. Massey was telling him that he needed some help in his office. And since Fred was a combat medic and they had known each other, he asked him to come work for him. Well, little did we know the employees that he was getting to work in his office with him were not certified. Um, my ex-husband was a combat medic, but he wasn't certified on the civilian side to work in that office. Um, the two women that he had working in the office were also not certified. So the one had went to LPN school, but had never passed her actual boards. Oh. So he said he said they were allowed to work for him as long as they were underneath him. And he let them work like that. So in the meantime, he needed a receptionist. So he told my 
ex-husband that, you know, bring me on in. If I wanted a job, I had it. And I had former, I had before that worked as a legal assistant, but the lawyer I worked for had moved out of town. So I went ahead and went to work as his receptionist. Okay. And when was this? How long ago was that? That was in 2008. Okay. Okay. And so now how did, how was it that Cammy got on the lines of Dr. Massey? She, in 2008, in July 2008, had been in a really bad motor, um, vehicle accident. And I, had ta- I took her to Winchester, Virginia. She was doctoring there. But little did I know, when she would come in the office to see me, Raj Massey was talking to her behind the scenes, back in the back, while I was in the, the office checking people in and doing the receptionist work. And he was telling her that, he could get her on some medication that would help with her pain and, and whatnot. And he had her coming in after hours. Um, anytime that I wasn't there or my ex-husband wasn't there so that we couldn't see what was going on behind the scenes. Wow. And how did you find out what was going on? I did not find out until the DEA took him down. Oh. And when the DEA took him down, they had actually called us and asked us for our help at the time. We were no longer working there. We had left the facility a couple months before they took him down. And when they called, the drug task force had actually called and asked if we could talk to them. And we told them yes. And when we did, they went ahead and just patched us straight through to the DEA agent. And that's when we found out that they had pulled all of the medical records and all the pharmacy records. And they got Cammie's prescription records. And there was multiple, multiple ones for an extreme amount of narcotics. And she was only 17 years old at the time. Wow. So apparently CVS Pharmacy had made a complaint that that she was too young to be getting narcotics and that Raj was writing her numerous amounts of narcotics. Like, I mean, most patients that he wrote, he would write 120 Percocet a month, uh, 180 Dilaudid, a bunch of Xanax, maybe 60, 80 Xanax. I mean, it was numerous amounts. So the pharmacies in the area, it was illegal. So they started reporting him to the DEA for this. And that's when they came across Cammie's records that she was also getting all these numerous narcotics, but she was only 17 years old. Wow. Okay. Now, you had already quit working for him before the DEA came in. Did you suspect what was going on? Yes. Actually, I was a former 911 dispatcher, and my ex-husband was a former sheriff's deputy. Oh. So the the drug task force, we were friends with them. We worked with them in that aspect. So they started calling at work and asking me if I'd come talk to them. And on two different occasions, they asked me if I, I would come talk to them. Um, one of the occasions, it had snowed that day, so I just stayed home and called them and said, I can't come out. You know, the weather's bad. The next time, I had had a death in my family, so I called them back and said, you know, I can't meet you today because of this. So eventually, they caught up to us. And I had went in and told Dr. Massey before they ever caught up to us again and called us and said, hey, can you come talk to us? I told him, I'm like, the drug task force is calling me constantly, wanting to talk to you about all these narcotics you're you're prescribing. And 
he just grabbed me by the arms and said, you know, he, he said, F them, we're untouchable. Wow. And, and that, yeah, he was so arrogant. It was unreal. I was just floored by that. Why so, would he say that? I mean, did, did, did he have like yeah. friends in the local government? Or, I mean, I'm just throwing that out there, but why would he say yeah. we're untouchable? Not that, not that I know of. But he was literally that arrogant that he he thought he could get away with whatever he wanted, mm. any place and time. You know, it. He was just a, a very arrogant person, and I I don't know why. I know he has a, a brother that was also a, a doctor that was totally different. Hmm. He was an excellent doctor. He wouldn't write. He wouldn't prescribe the narcotics, and he was not a bit arrogant. He was down to earth, and but Russian Missy was just. I've never met anybody like him. Very arrogant. And to him, that's what he believed, that he was untouchable and they couldn't do anything to him. Wow. When did he start, like, really over-prescribing? Do you know? Well, from what I understand, it was, he opened the practice in 2008. Okay. But the over-prescribing started before that because he worked at Mountain Medical, I think was the name of it, with his brother. And they together had had this uh, facility. And it was just right down the street. It was an excellent facility. I mean, they had so many patients coming in. It was a wonderful, wonderful setup. But Dr. Massey started getting really cocky with the, the medications. So his brother warned him, you know, I don't write that many medications in here. We can't, we're not doing that. So they got into a huge argument, and Dr. Massey either left or his brother told him to get out, one of the two. But he even told us how that night after he had left, they went, he waited till his brother left. And, like, his brother had small children that lived away from here. And they would mail him pictures they had colored. And he said they went in his office, and they, they wrote all over the pictures, called him names. They tore the pictures off the wall, tore them to pieces, and then they went to McDonald's and they bought ice cream, milkshakes, tons of ice cream, and they rode by him and his family and threw the ice cream on the windows of the facility. Wow. And he he laughed about it. He thought this was just the funniest thing. So then those two, when with them having words, he left and his brother kept that facility open but he went to Dr. Hans at the other end of town, and Dr. Hahn hired him on. Uh, we also had a meeting with Dr. Hahn after all this when the DEA came in and took him down. And Dr. Hahn had actually called us and asked us to have a meeting with him, and just he wanted to know, he wanted some details too, because the issue with him was Dr. Massey was prescribing so many narcotics, there was a couple people that had died from them. Oh. There were some overdoses. So Dr. Hahn naturally was getting highly upset. So he started going through the bill and putting signs up. We do not, we no longer prescribe narcotics. But he worked day shift and Dr. Massey came in and worked evening shift. So when Dr. Hahn would go home for the evening, Raj would go out in the waiting room and tear all the signs down. So he said every day when he came back in, the signs were ripped down and there had been all kind of narcotics wrote. So that's when he fired him and told him he was no longer allowed in his facility. And then he went on down the street and opened what became the the most evil facility I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I have never seen such amounts of narcotics. It was unbelievable. Wow. 
How many, how many people would you estimate kind of went through his clinic and were prescribed You know, pills? there were probably, I'm guessing because it's, it's been since 2008, it started out with hundreds. But I guarantee you, by the time we left, there had to be eight, nine hundred. I'm guessing again, you know, I'm not yep. for certain. No, I get it. But there was a lot of people. When we came in in the morning, I was the one that opened up in the morning. Right. And my ex-husband wouldn't come in till later. Nobody else came in till just a little bit later. So I was there probably a half hour alone waiting on them. And I was getting everything turned on, everything ready for the day. It looked like a bus station. There was people in the hallways asleep they were landing in the hallways i would have to step over them to get to the door and get in and it was it got to the point it was scary yeah yeah and this is all in in what's the name of the town moorefield west virginia okay and what did were most of the people that came there were they from the town um, no, they were from all over. There was a couple people that drove from six hours away. Um, they were, it was from mostly the surrounding counties. There's Hardy, which is where Moorefield's at. There's Grant, Hampshire, Pendleton, Mineral. They all had people coming in. Pocahontas County, all these surrounding counties. But then there were some people that came all the way from Charleston, West Virginia, and further. So they were driving like six hours to get there to get narcotics. Wow. Did to your knowledge, and you may not know, but um, to your knowledge, were most of these people getting the narcotics for themselves, or were they getting them to sell to others? From what I've, I had been told, um, it was both. It okay. was both. I mean, I end up. I now work at a hospital, and I met a man at the hospital one day, and it, it was it's in Romney. And he just came out and told me, he goes, I remember you from working in Dr. Massey's um, office. He said, you know, he said, me and my two friends used to go in there after hours. And Dr. Massey would write us large amounts of prescriptions and tell us to take them out and sell them and bring half of the money back to him. And he said, that's what we did. He said, that's how we made our living. We kept half of the money and he took the other half. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was unreal. I can't even describe it. I never thought that I would see something like that. And, I, you know, I've heard the pain clinics in, in Florida and other areas and, and Baltimore, Maryland and stuff, they're pretty bad. Yep. But for a little town around here, we had never seen any of this. This was all new to us. When patients started fighting in the waiting room and I would have to call 911, that just blew my mind. Wow. I couldn't believe it. And I mean, they would come in they had either abused their medication, sold it, and they were coming down off of it. They were in DTs, and and it was unreal. One woman literally was, like, foaming at the mouth. Wow. And at the same time she was in there, the drug task force had called in there and said, you know, hey, Kelly, can you tell me, did this woman really, did somebody really steal her medication, do you think, or do you think she's just abused it? And I said, well, I'm going to tell you like this. She's standing right in front of me, and she's foaming at the mouth, if that tells you anything. Oh, wow. And he said, that's exactly what I thought. Wow. Yeah, we saw so much of that. And they were so rude, and it was horrible the way they were treated, treating the receptionist because they were so mad because they weren't getting in the back in time to see where I mean, it was like they had to wait an hour or so, sometimes right. two hours. Wow. The wait made them mad. They were furious because they were out of their narcotics, and they wanted more. 
it just went above and beyond. And he and his family, they were from Texas originally, so they would fly back to be with their family from time to time. He would leave my ex-husband the prescription pad and say, just write them whatever they want. But the bad thing was, of course, my ex-husband being a former law enforcement, he wouldn't do it. He said, I'm not getting in trouble for that. Right. But these patients started showing up at my house, and we didn't even know they knew where we lived. So that got really scary, too. That was a major concern. I didn't want them knowing anything about my house. And, And then they would call the whole time he was going, if he was going for a week, they would call numerous times all day long every day. Wow. You're listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. If you'd like further information on the podcast, you can reach out to us on our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at T-A-P-P-O-N-R, that's T like Tom, A like Apple, P like Peter, P like Paul, O like Oscar, N like Nancy, R like Robert, 2017 at gmail.com. If you'd like further information on Narcan on Suncoast, the number is 877-339-3324. That's 877-339-3324. How did he get caught, Kelly? When my ex-husband told the DEA everything that was going in, on in the back and how he was working, the amount of prescriptions he was working, of course, the drug task force had contacted them and told them, you, you know, we've got Rite Aid was ones to turn him, turn him in. Rite Aid turned him in and said he's trying to get all these prescriptions filled here and it's illegal. We're not filling them. So they turned him in to the DEA. And then CVS and Walmart followed right along behind them. And all these pharmacies started telling him, they would tell the patients when they come in, we, we don't have those narcotics here. We don't have that amount. We can't fill your scripts. You'll have to go somewhere else. And naturally, they did have them, but they didn't want any part of it. Right. So there was one, one pharmacy in Petersburg that said, Let's do a contract with us. Tell them that in that contract, they can only go to us to fill their scripts. And we'll fill them all. So Judy's Drugstore filled them all. And, of course, ultimately, they went down with him. Right. And I I remember that from the uh, overdosed film that the pharmacy went down. Yes, they did. And they 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 even opened a pharmacy in Moorfield. They only had one in Petersburg. But when they had such a, a large amount of people coming in right out of his office, they went ahead and opened a pharmacy in Moorfield as well. And I remember he had us to draw up the contracts and make make everybody sign them as they came through the door, saying that they would only go to Judy's drugstore. Wow, because Judy's wasn't going to turn him in. No, no, they weren't about, about to, because they were making huge money off of it as well. Right. And it, it, it got to the point, he decided it was so much easier on start writing all these scripts to start printing them out. So he came up with a version to print out on the computer, and he would print out multiple scripts. There would be scripts for them to fill now, and then there would be scripts post-dated to fill later on in the month. Wow. So they didn't have to come back in, and they were just getting, it was so much medication. It was unbelievable. Wow. When did, Kelly, when did you discover that Cammy was addicted? When the DEA came in and realized, that 
because Tammy was good at keeping things hid, you know, around the house. She didn't seem addicted, but more so, I think she was doing more selling than she was taking okay. at that time. And when the DEA came in and, and started talking to us, wanted to talk to us, they went ahead and, and let me know, well, I just got, I have to let you know, CVS Pharmacy also contacted us about your daughter because he's actually writing her narcotics as well. And I was floored. Uh, you know, I, he did this behind my back. You know, I worked for him. You know, we tried to help keep the office going. We tried to steer him in the right way. My ex-husband told him numerous times, this is illegal. You cannot do this. And he basically just laughed it off. Wow. Wow. That's that's such an unbelievable story. And yet, I before I got you on the phone, I was reading an article about how they're finding doctors in these other states that are not only selling the pills for money, but also doing giving the pills in exchange for sexual favors, which is unbelievably oh, wow. disgusting. And I don't I don't think Dr. Massey did yeah. that, did he? Not that, to my knowledge. Dr. Massey's big issue was he was married to a former pediatrician in Texas, and they had a son together. Mm-hmm. His new, after, well, his new wife stepped into the picture at some point in time, and he divorced that pediatrician. Had he stayed with her, Dr. Massey would have been an incredible doctor. He would have had an incredible life. But instead, he married this one, and when he did, she had three kids by a different man. Well, the big issue was she felt that her kids should have everything they want, and they were teenagers at the time. So her kids were all driving, like, one drove a Hummer, one drove one of the Subaru that's a sports car, one drove a Mercedes. They all went to college at Morgantown, but they refused to stay in a dorm. They were too good for the dorm. So they all had to, they had to have an apartment. Um, Dr. Massey was just overwhelmed financially. Right. And most of it, from what he told us, was because of these kids, that he was so financially overwhelmed that they just constantly wanted money. They just constantly, you know, they wanted everything they wanted. You know, a teenage kid will do that. Yep. But he was constantly giving it to them. And at one point, he broke down. And talk to me, and I, I really, truly believe there was a human in there with a heart because he said, you know, he said, this is not me. He said, this is not the doctor I want to be. He said, and, and this is just not what I'm wanting to do. And, and I've tried to tell him, well, then don't do it. Right. But he, he ultimately came out and said, I can't afford not to. I have to pay for this, for them to live in apartments. I have to pay for all these cars. I think it ended up being six or seven vehicles when he went down that sat on the bank lot and went back. There was a Porsche. There was two Mercedes, the Hummer, the Subaru, a a Denali. There was, I mean, a lot of vehicles. I think maybe even a Jeep. There there was a lot of them. And they sat at the bank and they repoed every single one of them. Plus, he had a big house. Yeah. So, you know, I think... And and the sad thing is, he was an incredible ER doctor. This man could find stuff that no other doctor could. He was super intelligent. He could pick stuff out that you wouldn't believe. There were people he saved their lives. They went to other doctors after they had had a heart attack or something, you know, anything. And in fact, my uncle, my mom's twin brother, had had a heart attack. And Raj Masih is the only one that found that. 
Wow. The other doctors kept telling, you know, they diagnosed him with something else. He almost died. Had he stayed an ER doctor, he would have been an incredible one. But he let greed take over. Right. Interesting. What is he doing now, Kelly? I know he was arrested, but what's he doing now? Yes, he's working for the Potomac Highlands Guild. And um, they do DUI classes. Um, I I think I've heard they do counseling, that kind of thing. But I, I don't know much about it. Now, is he also prescribing drugs still? You know, I I wouldn't know. I okay. have heard rumor that he is. Yeah, I think Cammy told us he was. <laughs> yes, she had, somebody had came to her and actually said that they were still getting narcotics off of him, I think. But, you know, I've kept my distance from him. Once I was out of there, I wanted nothing else to do with him. And, you know, I had a cousin that died because, and she was just maybe a year or two older than me, and we were very close. But she died because he sent her to UVA and kept wanting this port put in her chest. She had lupus. Instead of prescribing her anti-inflammatories, which they prescribed for lupus, he kept prescribing her narcotics. Well, when he did, they put the port in her chest, and he kept um, prescribing her Dilaudid. So her niece, which is Cammie's age, they're near month apart in age, injected this Dilaudid into her chest one more into the port one morning, but she over-injected. She overdosed her own aunt and killed her because she, something like that has to be done in a hospital setting. You can't do that at home. Right. You can't have just anybody off the street come in and inject that. That's supposed to be done in a hospital. You know, Dilaudid is one of those drugs that is supposed to be used in a hospital setting. So she overdosed and died like, the day or two before Christmas. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. So, you know, once that happened, I was ready to be done with him. You know, um, there was another overdose and it happened at the time that, and it was the one he was arrested on and went to prison on because from what I was told, he gave two medications that cannot be mixed together. So it wasn't that the boy took the medication and overdosed on too much of it. It, It shouldn't have even been mixed together. So when he died, they were in Texas visiting their family. And I texted him and I said, Raj, this boy died last night. And I could hear, I mean, I could tell the fear over those texts because he immediately texted me back and said, oh, my God, find out what happened. Find out how he died. I mean, you could tell he was scared. Right. So it didn't take long after that. They caught the DEA caught on to him. And stri- they were investigating them because they found out that this one should not have. This wasn't an overdose death. This, you know, this was something that he was liable for. Right. So wow. you know, I was just we were ready to leave because it was getting dangerous. It was getting ridiculous. He literally wanted. He was trying to make money so hard that he would send people out for anything by ambulance. And he even told my ex-husband the reason he was doing it, because that's big money. He can build the insurance, a lot of money, a lot of different things for that to send them out. And then he's going to come get the payback off of it. Right. Well, then that wasn't good enough. He got even greedier, and he started flying helicopters in and sending people out in a helicopter that did not need to be. Right. So he had 911 dispatch. He had everybody in the county furious with him. Everybody was going against him because it was just too much. 
I mean, there was people that could have went, could have went out by ambulance instead of being medevaced out. Right. But it was when he would medevac them, that was huge money, and he even admitted to that. Right. Um, let me ask you a question because I, you know, I watched the film Overdosed and um, talked to some of the people involved, and the. Um, one of the impressions that I got was that there was a whole, there's still a whole part of the population that thinks Dr. Massey is a really good guy. Have you experienced that? Like, are there people who are mad at you because? Oh, yes. Uh, yes. Um, the big issue was naturally the one that were, the ones that were on narcotics, they did get mad when he went down. You know, there goes, there goes their, their addiction. Yeah, that makes what sense. What are they going to do now for these yeah. narcotics? And then they started going to all the local e- ERs and trying to get them. Well, Petersburg ER, Grand, Grand Memorial Hospital, went ahead and put signs up, we do not prescribe any narcotics. Yeah. So then they started going to Hampshire Memorial Hospital. And it was a nightmare because the ones that were coming in there were literally sneaking in the back doors of the hospital, trying to get up to the top floors because the long-term care unit is on the top floor. Well, they assumed that the older patients up there were getting narcotics, even though they really don't get much. And they were trying to break in the back doors and get into our floor where I work on long-term care. And it got, it was really scary. The sheriff's department had to come in and pull all the tapes and they saw these people and we could hear them like trying to pry the doors open to get into where we were at. And and it got really scary. I mean, they had to put out a notice that if anybody comes up on this floor with weapons or whatnot, this is what you do. And it was, we got, we were in fear to walk out into the parking lot. So ultimately it's a ring, it's owned by Valley Health and Valley Health went ahead and hired a security company to come in. That's how bad it got. Wow. But yeah, they, they all just raided all the ERs that they could trying to get whatever they could. So, yeah, they were livid. They were furious that he was taken down. But little did they know, even though we talked to the DEA, they had been investigating him for years. Right. It wasn't you guys (laughs) that blew the whistle. He was already under scrutiny. Yes. He was already being watched long before he went down. Yeah. So, Kelly, from your perspective and what you've obviously learned from working for someone like Dr. Massey, what kind of message would you want to communicate to our listeners in terms of the medical profession and opioids and that whole subject? It's it's just a nightmare. If you can avoid a, plan, a pain clinic, avoid it at all costs. Try not to go to a pain clinic. Try alternate routes. Try physical therapy. Yep. But don't get stuck in something like that because... You know, a lot of these doctors are out there for the money. They don't care about your health. There was numerous times after all the patients were going for the night, we were closing down. Doctor must be in the back, and he would start laughing and making fun of the patients. And I have heard him call them dumb hillbillies before or stupid hillbillies. And, you know, it's kind of devastating because those people cannot, you know, they took the wrong path. And now... They're hooked on something that their body's not letting go of. Right. So to call names when, you know, you're making money off of them out of greed, it was just, it was really upsetting. 
Yeah. So yeah, definitely try any other route, but do not if you know if a doctor prescribes you narcotics, ask him, can you know please keep me on a limited amount so I don't have to be weaned off of these things. You know, whatever it takes, or ask if there's a different route you can go, but don't get involved in a pain clinic. It is not worth it. Yeah. That's, I think that's a great message. You know, the other thing I'm thinking as you talk about this is that, you know, so often when someone maybe legitimately needs a little bit of pain medication because of surgery or injury or what have you, sometimes doctors overprescribe. And that's what this news article was talking about. Kelly, do you know, if I went to a doctor and, you know, he prescribed me like three months worth of something for a you know, a sprained ankle, which would be a bit excessive. Is there someone you can call if you suspect that there's abuse? Do you know? Yes. First, talk to your pharmacy first. Talk okay. to your pharmacist. The pharmacists are very intelligent, and they are against, the majority of them are against overprescribing. They will definitely tell you what to do. You know, they will even give you the number. Here's the number you can call, or they will call for you. But yeah, definitely talk to your pharmacist first. Interesting. Because, because I, I, yeah, I think I would know if someone were over prescribing. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You know, like for yes, a toothache, absolutely. you get like a month's worth or something like that. It would be it would be a bit ridiculous. Well, Kelly, thank yeah. you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate your story. You have a different perspective, but I think it's a very valuable one and very timely, especially with what's happening now with doctors throughout the country and not only doctors, but nurse practitioners and, and others in the medical field who are, you know, basically breaking the law by you know, giving out painkillers when that shouldn't be done. So I appreciate your perspective and thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you so much. Bottom line is there are unfortunately unethical people in the medical field and they are overprescribing painkillers. And if you have a loved one that is addicted to painkillers, you probably know how it started. And it's a very unfortunate scenario. The good news is that they're being caught and being prosecuted. And I think that more and more will come to light as people realize that these doctors are don't have their best interest in mind. Um, I think Kelly's story really just is the perfect time to talk about what she talked about because, you know, there are doctors who are currently being arrested for overprescribing pain pills. Um, so we will be back again next week and either it will be me or it will be me and Jason, but we will have an interview and we are going to keep shedding light on this whole subject of addiction. You know, there is hope available. If you know somebody who's addicted, do something about it. Go to the Narconon Suncoast website. Call the 877 number that we give in the podcast, 877-339-3324. If you don't want to call Narconon, call somebody, but do something about it. Don't feel like there's absolutely nothing you can do. There's always something that you can do. And we want you to know that there is help available. There is hope. And we're going to keep dinging in that message week after week. So y'all have a good week. We'll be back again. 
You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 